0: This episode is being recorded on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish people.
1: Hey everyone, this is Gabrielle,
0: And I'm Ravin.
1: And this is Therapy After Hours.
0: Okay, welcome back everyone. Now that we are back into the swing of recording and kind of a continuation from what we talked about last week, we thought we would talk about Mental health stigma.
1: Yes. And how people that struggle with their mental health are stigmatized, are discriminated sometimes, are judged,
0: are ostracized, ostracized.
1: but also how individually ourselves, like people, Mm -hmm. we feel some people feel shame about struggling with mental health.
0: Yeah. And just kind of like where we learn that and how did we learn to really prioritize physical health over mental health and not see it as a as as important or kind of see it as a personal failing if somebody struggles with their mental health because I think stigma itself keeps us unwell longer yeah and it keeps us from seeking the appropriate supports yeah it keeps us from getting the help that we need yeah and so really addressing it from kind of all the layers of systemic interpersonal individual yeah
1: and I would say also how it's kind of changing or Mm -hmm. has changed in the last few years i would say in a positive way like more acknowledgement i think it
0: is but maybe this is where my like part of me feels like the pendulum has swung because i know that we've talked in previous episodes about how like now on social media like everyone's diagnosing themselves with something yeah but i also think that has to do with stigma because now i feel like mental health conditions Folks have compassion and understanding, but only if they're very severe and come with a diagnosis, yeah. and then they're seen mm-hmm. as quote unquote legitimate. But if someone is functioning well most of the time and doesn't subscribe to, you know, really those kind of more
1: labels, diagnoses.
0: Those, yeah, those labels or diagnoses that are more I'm trying to find the right word, but are that are more severe in mm-hmm. some senses, right? Um, and then there's also certain illnesses that I think have been normalized in terms of stigma so more people talk about depression anxiety ADHD but then what about like borderline personality disorder or schizophrenia or OCD like
1: bipolar yeah
0: so there's I think even stigma amongst which mental health disorders are okay to talk about
1: absolutely yeah I think when I when I when I mention or when I talk about like how it has kind of shifted a little bit I think and even if it's just like very small number of companies or corporations or businesses where mm-hmm. people do get mental health days, mm-hmm. very limited, very limited amount, but also very limited employers give mm-hmm. out mental health days. Yeah. Whereas for sick days, a lot of the times some companies, not all will require doctor's notes or things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. I, I guess it depends on the yeah policies and procedures of that company. But
0: why don't we go back? And let's start kind of thinking about like, because we have so many thoughts about this clearly, and we've already kind of just like jumped right in. So let's maybe try to organize our thoughts a bit and think about how, let's start with the systemic. So we'll go kind of broad, systemic, and then kind of break it down, break it down. I'm doing like a funnel motion, like funnel to individual So how do you when you think about mental health stigma showing up systemically what kind of things do you think about?
1: Well a few things that I think about are like are we talking about and and I guess this is part of what we're going to be unpacking here is like you know is it are we thinking of like corporations and employers employees are we thinking about societal standards of mental health or definition of mental health and kind of the stigma around that so just gonna depend I guess but when I think of systemic, I think of like how society views mental health mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Okay. Like how people think as a community, as a, as a bigger part of who we are, mm-hmm. how mental health shows up in our lives right. and what some people think of as a shameful diagnosis. And um, when people say like, oh, that person just is just crazy. Mm. or they need they need to go to a psychiatrist right. to a psychiatrist as yeah. an insult almost or as
0: yeah a, or you need therapy as an or insult. you
1: need therapy
0: yeah yeah that's interesting because I first go to I go even above that before yeah. I when I think of systems like I think that's a part of it but then I think about like where does that come from and I move even further out on like the messaging in our systems, the way that they are structured, whether that's the medical system or we talked about like MSP, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what's covered by benefits and what's not and what qualifies for like, I think about even the academic system, like being in school, if I had a physical injury, I could probably ask my prof for an extension and it would be understood. But if I said I'm in a depressive episode, yeah not seen the same way
1: yeah well now that you mentioned that i i also think about living in the capitalist world system that we live in Mm -hmm. where you know hustle culture and productivity are so high up in the Mm -hmm. importance ladder if Mm -hmm. you will where struggling with mental health basically hinders that productivity or that Mm -hmm. hustling culture Mm -hmm. so how yeah Well, and
0: also how from that capitalist kind of productivity place, how it serves the dominant system to have mental health stigma, right? Because mental health stigma is a lot around placing that personal blame and that personal onus on the individual Yeah. of you are crazy. You just need to think positively. You just need to get out of bed.
1: Or you're weak. You're weak. You're the one struggling. Look at everybody else.
0: Yeah, you should be grateful for everything that you have. We get all of these messages. That one is I hard. know. Oh, I know. I just hate it so much. But it's like we get all these messages because it actually serves the system. Mm-hmm. Because then it distracts from the fact that the system itself is problematic and yeah. not conducive to good general mental health, let alone structure for people with different needs. Because it puts the blame on the individual. Yeah, the medical system does this with health too, right? Like, it's just how these systems creating stigma and shame amongst individuals, so that they don't have to take responsibility for the fact that the system sucks.
1: Yeah, but also that a lot of our mental health—not a lot, I guess—not a lot. But some of the some of us that struggle with mental health, or some of the people that struggle with mental health, struggle because of things that happened in their childhood Mm -hmm. or in their upbringing that they had no control over. Mm -hmm. So it was like something that was done to them Mm -hmm. and something that happened to them that didn't, you know, nobody was able to protect them from or, Mm
0: -hmm. or it's just biology
1: or yeah, that's one part that's why I say some, right. And so the other part is the genetics biology part where it's like, it just comes down the line Mm -hmm. and nobody's, nobody's at fault. Nobody needs, you know, there's no way to, navigating that differently because it is genetics, it is biology. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, like, yes, we take responsibility and we deal with it. And at the same time, we can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. The same way people say like, oh, it takes a village to raise a kid. It also takes a village to deal with mental health, especially because we are a a social species.
0: Yeah, totally. I think about even how, like you said something that struck me where you said, Oh, where you said you know sometimes mental health struggles are caused by things that happen in our childhood, that things that happen out of our control, and sometimes mental health struggles are either created or exacerbated by the systems we live in and work yes. in, right? So I think yeah. about like workplace bullying, workplace burnout, capitalism, and the ex- the pressures. I think about the academic system. How mm-hmm. many kids and myself included struggled with anxiety due to pressure to perform academically. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, and also I, I would say the other part of the cost of living. Mm-hmm. The pressure that we all feel to yeah. be able to afford mm-hmm. rent, groceries, live life mm-hmm. in, in a way, and also pay all of our bills.
0: Yeah, patriarchal expectations. Yeah. You know, you can't be single. You have to have a partner. You have to have a family. You have to own a house.
1: And then when are the kids coming?
0: Mm-hmm
1: and then after the first one it wins the second one coming
0: and then there's things like postpartum like there's just there's so many reasons why mental health is a struggle yeah and then the stigma just maintains it and the stigma again just places the blame on the individual and doesn't look at these bigger influences because it gets them off the hook
1: right and it's almost like a lot of the times it feels like you know you're in a ship and it's sinking and you're throwing water out but mm-hmm. it still keeps yeah you there's know you're still the ship. there's there's a hole in the ship so you still it doesn't matter how much you throw out mm-hmm. of the bow it keeps getting yeah
0: do you have any examples of ways that you have seen mental health stigma show up in systems like whether it's been in workplaces or schools or the mm-hmm. world really every day every day <laughs> but i'm trying to think of like some concrete examples so one thing that I think about is I have met people who work in very masculine-based professions, so very male-dominated, masculine-based was the wrong word, very male-dominated professions that have told me that even though they have mental health benefits, they're too afraid to use them because if their employer can see that they've accessed mental health services, They might be judged as being weak or not qualified for certain positions. And so, like, that's one way that I've seen it show up where it's just like, here are these services, but if you use them, it means you're crazy.
1: Mm -hmm. And we're going to
0: hold it against you in this bureaucratic system.
1: Which I'm pretty sure probably illegal or or something. Probably, but how do you prove it? (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
0: It's more one of those things that was, like, unspoken and just understood in the profession amongst these individuals.
1: Mm. hmm
0: Mm -hmm. Right. I've also seen it shown up, like look at policing training, right? They don't really get an in depth understanding of trauma informed care. And, you know, they do the best that they can, but the stigma is kind of just we know we have to deal with quote unquote those Mm -hmm. people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then they end up being the bad the bad guys too. Mm -hmm.
0: And is there anything that you can think of? I had a bunch and now I'm probably
1: in academia yes like i think that's a, the the one that I, that I see the most i would say or that mm-hmm. i've experienced the most i think in academia where we talk about you know uh, at least in my experience right our experience mm-hmm. like social justice and mm-hmm. the importance of of believing people and the importance of mental health and all these things but then there's all these limitations as to like oh you can only miss class once or twice Mm -hmm. no matter what otherwise you fail right and then how some people don't even give you extensions even if you're fucking dying and then there's always that that response of like everybody else did it or Mm -hmm. i i can do that in my sleep kind Mm -hmm. of thing that we've all heard
0: yeah and i think ironically even in the mental health care system oh absolutely right like we've talked about diagnoses different ones having different stigma and i've unfortunately seen that show up in systems that i've worked in right like i worked in addiction recovery and there was this kind of stigma about what it means to be someone who struggles with substance use dependence right and Mm -hmm. um, these these traits and the stigma that gets like attached to folks with that challenge. Or um, I've worked in settings where personality disorders are really used to shame and stigmatize people. Instead of seeing the client as a person, they're seen as their diagnosis and seen as kind of like a pattern of behavior and grouped in with one another as opposed to having their individual needs met. And that's all from those assumptions that are made based on the stigma of the diagnosis.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I don't, I'm very, we're kind of cautious. Mm-hmm. Cautious of saying this, but it's something that I have definitely seen in the field where the longer you've been practicing, currently, mm-hmm. currently, the longer you've been practicing or the farther away you're training, like farther away as in years, mm-hmm. I don't know how to say that. Mm-hmm. but. Farther away as in years, your training was. How long ago your training? Long, yes, there we go. Thank you. How long ago your training was? There is more inclination of diagnosing, and there is mm. more inclination of honestly being a, a mental health bully almost. Mm-hmm. And and the, this is a say Like I, know, it's not everyone. I'm, yeah, I, I'm, but i am noticed I'm
0: of that too. I get what you're saying, and then I also think it's such an individual yeah i think it's an individual thing and then it's also a systemic thing. so one thing that i think is i know tons of therapists who are much older than me much more experienced than me that have continued to learn as research has changed yes and don't follow those patterns and it's yeah. people over patterns Whereas historically, the way that mental health training was done was very stigmatizing and very, yeah. you know, you look for the patterns and you don't see the person, the nuances in the person and in their behavior.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, how do how do we acknowledge this? And I th- this is in every field, every career. There's always going to mm-hmm. be people that are like keeping up with the studies and the research, people that don't because they don't right. really care. Like my therapist has been practicing for for years. Mm -hmm. and she's fucking phenomenal yeah same with
0: mine again I think it comes down to the systems in which we operate right like I have worked in settings where the culture of the office environment is to stigmatize and is to glamorize kind of being burnt out and being checked out as like a badge of honor in the work which is such a disservice to clients and but Frank, that's, frankly stigmatizing for me like following a mental health stigmatizing perspective is just lazy therapy right yeah, because it's saying yeah. i don't want to do the work of figuring out you as an individual so i'm going to take the stigma of this diagnosis and i'm going to make all these assumptions yeah about who you are
1: yeah but i think it's that's also beyond just the mental health field mm-hmm. the totally. the the glamorizing and romanticizing of burnout and, right oh this person works 15 hours a, every mm-hmm. day and mm. that's an eminence in their Ooh, you in their what? workplace
0: the, you saying that just like light bulb went off on how stigma actually works in the reverse too of oh well you don't look like you're depressed you function so well yeah or like you don't look like you have an eating disorder you don't look like you str- you don't seem like you struggle with anxiety yeah Right And how it works in that reverse way, too, is once we have the stigma and we have this image associated mm-hmm. with it, then it also rips people off of having their experience of it as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. That one's, I think, a lot a lot more present in interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. because it's so direct directly yeah. to people who may feel comfortable enough or maybe pressured into sharing that Mm -hmm. they're struggling with their mental health Mm -hmm. and then that's the response that they get yeah it's like oh but you don't look like it
0: yeah i think you're you're onto something in terms of like that showing up in interpersonal relationship and then i also think it shows up in like employment settings right like i know that I'm someone, for example, that I would classify as quote-unquote high-functioning depression or high-functioning anxiety, where I can show up and do the things that I need to do even when I'm really, really struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I finally have to ask for that time off or ask for accommodations, it's like, oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Right. And how that impacts me of like, but then if I was actively showing that I was depressed, then I would be seen as like not qualified to do my job or seen as like, I couldn't handle it or something Mm. like that. So it's just interesting how it works. Right. And yeah.
1: Yeah, And I think that you hit something there. The idea that if you are struggling with mental health, you're not qualified or capable of doing your job Mm
0: -hmm. yes we'll we'll get there i think that's it especially
1: for us as uh mental health practitioners
0: yeah absolutely um before we move there because we'll go into interpersonal next what other kind of systemic stuff do we want to touch on i know that we've talked a bit about benefits and
1: msp yeah i think you mentioned benefits and msp earlier maybe we can expand a little bit more on that on that because i think you know i think a big struggle for most people is to access mental health support yeah because it's not it, cheap it's not cheap it's not covered by msp It's not covered by most some insurances or most insurances cover up to 500 dollars. yeah we we see that a lot in our clients right mm-hmm. and so it's a struggle for a lot of people to even be able to use that in a in an amount of sessions that actually mm-hmm. is helpful or beneficial
0: well and then i think it adds to the stigma of mental health because what it does is it puts in very concrete terms mm-hmm. what kind of care is about val- deemed valuable. Yeah. Right? So I think about okay, so psychiatry is covered by MSP, so medical intervention is seen as, you know, valuable. Yeah. I can get access to that for free. I can't get access to therapy for free in most settings, like there are some community based, but, you know, the stigma on that, right? Like a community-based mental health practitioner doesn't make nearly as much money as a community-based psychiatrist.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, the wait times are like... A year? Six months to two years.
0: Yeah, like hold on tight. You got some time to wait. Hopefully you make it there. Yeah. But yeah, and then I think about even extended health benefits. So like you said, like the $500 cap. I recently worked for an organization where for physical health. Like I got unlimited RMT. So unlimited massage benefits, unlimited physio. And then I think like six sessions worth of therapy benefits for the year. And so right off the bat, the systems are very directly communicating to us what they deem as valuable. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's going to automatically contribute to stigma yeah. because it's going to be like, well, I struggle with these other things yeah, and Oh, yeah. it's, it's socially acceptable. To struggle with my physical body yeah. or, you know, having a physical illness, there's a lot of kind of compassion and understanding and accessibility to resources, not entirely, like I'm not making a blanket statement. I know that there's challenges there as well, but I'm yeah. drawing kind of like the parallels and how different it is for mental health.
1: Yeah. And you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like, well, RMTs and physios are regulated in BC. Mm-hmm. And then I think about okay, clinical counselor counselors are not regulated. Fair, whatever.
0: But psychologists, but are.
1: psychologists and social workers are. Mm-hmm. And if you were to tell me like, well, you have unlimited sessions with th- psychologists and social workers, and then this amount for clinic, I would be like, okay, that's mm-hmm. that makes a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. But even so, that's not the case.
0: You know, when I was in university, our mental health benefits actually decreased, so they were covering like eighty percent of the session as like the student care coverage or whatever. And then eventually they went down to $25 per session. Jesus. And so I emailed the school and was like, this is a drastic difference. Like why did this happen? And the reason that that happened is because they said that too many people were using the mental health benefit and it was driving up the, the premium. The premium,
1: And nobody wanted to pay more.
0: And I was just like, but doesn't that say something? Yep. That everyone's Wednesday. trying to access those services? Yep. And, and so we're
1: punishing people for accessing the services by decreasing the coverage.
0: Yeah, it's it's wild to me. And, like, you know, there is funding out there. Like, I'm a part of the Crime Victims Assistance Program that people can get funding through. But you have to have been a victim of a crime to qualify. So it's like it, things have to get really, really bad.
1: There's so many requirements.
0: Yeah. But doesn't that say something? Yep. That everyone's When's trying your, to access those services? Yep
1: and so we're punishing people for accessing the services by decreasing the coverage.
0: Yeah, it's it's wild to me and like, you know, there is funding out there like I'm a part of the crime victims assistance program that people can get funding through, but you have to have been a victim of a crime to qualify. So it's like it things have to get really really bad.
1: There's so many requirements.
0: Yeah. I often think about parallels between physical health and mental health and how they're valued or not valued in mm-hmm. the same ways and You know, I even think about I've had friends, loved ones, colleagues who get physically ill, right? Who have to get like a surgery or have a recovery period. And the way that people band together as a community to provide them support. Like I had, you know, I've experienced this in my workplace a few times where a, a colleague has to undergo a medical procedure and everyone's like supporting them so much and then not seeing the same thing. When someone's off for mental health reasons. Yeah. Right? It's again, it's kind of like, oh, that's your problem.
1: Yeah. And I think it just gets awkward for people. It gets uncomfortable Mm. when it's about emotions and feelings. Mm. You know how they don't know what to say, they they don't know what what to to say or what to do. You know how, like, I've seen people, and this is like outside of work, just in general public spaces or in private or whatever, how sometimes people get so uncomfortable when their friend or another person is crying.
0: Oh my god, yes.
1: Crying or super sad or struggling with something and people get so so uncomfortable because and I think this is a systemic piece of how we've deemed crying, sadness, anger as a negative emotion. Mm -hmm. Or and and people are not we haven't had permission to show those for so long. Mm -hmm. But also we're not taught how to navigate those because they're bad emotions. Like, oh don't cry. Mm -hmm. Oh, don't be sad. We hear that all the time, but we've never heard, don't be happy or don't laugh.
0: Well, actually in Punjabi culture that there is sayings that say like, don't laugh or you're going to laugh, you're going to cry as much as you're laughing or like, don't get too excited. So I think, you know, we're going into kind of a different realm of like messages around emotions, but I think you're onto something with like the pathology of crying. Yeah. Right. And I think that has to do with mental health stigma or emotional health stigma. Right. I think... We're not only speaking about like mental health diagnoses. We're just saying no. overall like mental well being, emotional well being, yeah. and the pathology of crying. If we want to look at the patriarchal system, is very much rooted in that, right? Because crying became a feminine trait. It became a sign a of weakness, weakness yeah. you know. And of course, that we know that that also impacts men and masculine folk because then they get the messaging that they can't cry or that it's mm-hmm. not okay to cry. Mm-hmm. But people get really uncomfortable. Like even the act of handing someone a tissue when they're crying communicates, I can't handle it. Here's the thing to make it stop. Yeah. Right. I remember learning about like in group therapy, for example, like always have tissue in the middle of the room, but don't offer it to people. Like don't hold the Kleenex belts out to them. Cause what you're basically saying is like, ah, that's uncomfortable. Make it really? stop. Yeah.
1: I've heard this in individual sessions mm-hmm. actually. I I've I saw a therapist on Instagram to be talking about this. Mm-hmm. Or in an interview she was doing. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that she never hands the tissue box to her clients. Yeah. Because they know where it is. It's next to them. And, yeah. and she's modeling autonomy for them. And that they can decide when to use them.
0: They can decide. And also the implicit messaging of here's something to stop the crying. Yeah. Right? Instead of saying like, I can handle it. Yeah. And you know, one thing I will... Oh, this is going into the individual, too. But I guess we're going to jump around. But, you know, last episode, we talked about, like, allowing support from our friends. Mm. And yeah. <laughs> I'm so fortunate that most of my friends are therapists because they showed up for me and took care of me in the same ways that they would have if I had a physical illness right like made themselves available helped me with things that i was struggling to get done you know offered to bring me food like those sorts of things but then it's like even the internalized stigma of like i felt like i was doing something wrong by accepting that help because if i'm physically unable then that's quote-unquote legitimate but because it was due to my mental and emotional health It was like, oh, I'm just being lazy by accepting that from them.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the other one. When we're struggling with our mental health and we stop to rest and not do Mm -hmm. anything, we call ourselves lazy. Mm -hmm. Because we're not... Being productive. We're not hustling. We're not doing something.
0: Yeah, you literally just called me on that when you got here. But I didn't say I no longer use the word lazy for myself. But I, I have recently gone through some work changes to kind of like lighten my load and prioritize my mental health. Because the way that I'm trying to view the world is, if I had a physical limitation, I would adjust my life yeah. according to limitation. So I do have some mental health needs that I need to adjust my life for, and I recently did that. And when Gabby got here today, I said, "Oh, today was like my first kind of like more flexible day, and I had all these things I wanted to do, and I just slept, and I was kind of in that tone of like beating myself up." And he, you so gently reminded me that I do need to recover and that it's okay to, yeah. take that time to to rest before I start doing the
1: things. Yeah, because in a way, think of it this way: we're in the negative for so long, mm-hmm. and you know when we first have. Our first few days of rest or recovery, it's like mm-hmm. we don't we don't get to the green side. Yeah. We get to the zero. We're bringing the negative down to the zero, and then we can start recharging again. Yeah. So and that takes time. That takes a while. And I think, you know, something that the Nagoski sisters talk about in their burnout book is that stopping the situation where the burnout is happening takes a while to actually recover from.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some people talk of the recovering from burnout takes three to five years
0: Mm -hmm. i've seen that yeah i don't know we are probably gonna have to do a whole episode on burnout but we're doing that thing where we veer into like a bunch of different topics so let's 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 go back back. so let's move to interpersonal so we've Mm -hmm. talked about systemic we know that all of the stuff that we're going to talk about in terms of the interpersonal and the individual stems from systemic right the system gets set up well they're all
1: connected right it goes back and forth it's like you go up and down the ladder But it's all kind of in the same realm.
0: So I guess how are we seeing it show up? I think of the interpersonal level as like the social community relationship level. What comes to mind when you think about mental health stigma at that level?
1: That's a good question. I think when when I think of interpersonal, I think as well, you know, in terms of communities, like are we talking about like, our friend groups, our family members? All Are we it. talking about colleagues, work colleagues? All of it. All of it, okay. All of
0: it. And then cultural, mm. right? Like, come, I'm thinking about like South Asian culture. I'm thinking about being an Indian family. I'm thinking about my family in specific. I'm thinking about friends, all of it. Community is yeah. all of
1: it. Yeah, Pearl, let's do cultural first then, I guess. Okay. You, you can do your culture, I'll do mine. mm. They're very similar but
0: mm-hmm. well i mean in in my culture struggling with mental health is not a thing unless mm. you are quote-unquote crazy
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is seen as you know really those more severe mental health conditions right like if folks are struggling with paranoia or delusions um are just really out of touch with reality whereas mm-hmm. like there's not really an understanding that there's a spectrum of mental health and that everyone has mental health and everyone can have a hard time everyone can go to therapy there's a real resistance to therapy mm-hmm. of we'll just go to the doctor get some meds for it and you'll be okay
1: yeah yeah and my culture is is a little bit similar I think it just depends, right? There's, there there, are people that are, like, very open to it, have always been. Um, there are people that are not open at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think a gender piece comes oh, into yeah. play here. Definitely. You know, the patriarchy and machismo and, and how men basically don't have emotions or are not allowed to cry. Mm-hmm. We all heard it at one point or another oh, growing yeah. up. And I think that's not just... This is not specific just to Latino culture. I think it's just societal, worldwide. It was a thing for, for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I think you know, growing up in the 90s versus growing up now is quite different. Mm-hmm. The approach to mental health right. within cultures, within families. It's no longer, to an extent, mm-hmm. it's no longer a sign of weakness, mm-hmm. going to therapy, for example, or right. no longer just for... "Quote unquote crazy people," Yeah. which I think is a big thing I, I, that I, I heard growing up. Like only the crazy people, quote unquote. Go, oh yeah, same. Go to go to psychologists. psychologists or therapists or whatever.
0: Yeah, I have a question, and mm-hmm. if it's too personal, you don't have to answer it. But I'm just wondering, like, what are some ways? that the stigma associated with mental health in your culture impacted you?
1: I think I was more impacted in my sexual orientation coming out journey more than anything. In regards of mental health, I think not as much in, for various reasons, I would say. Mm-hmm. Because when I was a kid, there was a time where someone, uh, my house broke, got broken into Hmm. and my mom and my my mom was with my two brothers and my cousin my dad was somewhere for work and i was at a friend's house Mm. when they got home the people that had broken into the the house were still there Mm. and they had like 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 a machete and all all these kind of things and so my mom and dad decided to send my brothers to counseling for that experience. Mm. And because I was the youngest of the three, I got included into it. I was probably 4th grade. No, younger. 3rd 3rd grade. That's I think 8 years old, 8 or 9. So at that age I went to counseling for the first time for for this kind of traumatic experience. Mm. And I don't like I was a big crier growing up as well. Mm -hmm. While I heard a lot from society to stop crying and not Mm -hmm. be a crybaby, my parents did not kind of bully me into not crying or Mm -hmm. or, or kind of say that I was weak or stigmatize me, I guess, for crying. But I I did hear a lot. I think the crying piece.
0: Yeah, that's a big one, I think. And, you know, when you when you said that, I was even as I asked you the question, I was kind of because some things came to mind. For me, and that I think I witnessed so much secrecy mm. around mental health, mm-hmm. right? Like, keep it quiet or, like, kind of, like, observing as a kid that people were struggling but that it wasn't okay to talk about it, that it meant, you know, it was such a shameful thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I definitely carry that with me. Like, even when we... And it's still unlearning it. Like, now I'm talking about all my diagnoses all the time, right? But I, So yeah. I've definitely unlearned it but even you know how we talked about in our last episode where sometimes I'll talk about it but I'll talk about it in a very separated way because now it's almost like because I'm a therapist I'm allowed to intellectually talk about it yeah but I won't talk about it kind of more um, in terms of my experience and yeah even when I was editing the episode for last our last one I was like should I put that out there should I say that, and I think that comes from those cultural pieces around secrecy and then some other stuff around professionalism that we'll get into
1: yeah and I think that's also part of the stigma mm-hmm. that because we are mental health professionals, we're not allowed to share yeah. that much or as much, or that we need to be mindful of of the things that we share yeah and 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 I you know both of us were both aware that a lot of our clients listen to our podcast mm-hmm. or some of our clients at least. Yeah, I've had people that come to me because of the podcast. Yeah. So I'm aware of that what I say here mm-hmm. online mm-hmm. or like is recorded and, and put online, it, it's there. And then I still struggle with the fact that we still have to limit ourselves in terms yeah. of our our struggles. Like, Do I we
0: though? That's the, and I think that's the piece that I'm wrestling with is because part of... My favorite thing to do in this work is just normalize it. I think this is how we start to break through the stigma because, you know, I've had clients say to me, I can't take medication because it means that I'm really, really bad. And I'm like, Hey, I take medication. Yeah. And then it's like, Oh, right. Because maybe they see me as this functioning quote unquote normal person, which (laughs) jokes on them, (laughs) but you know, like I'm, I think just normalizing that and having more of these conversations. And I remember I had a really hard time in my first few years as a therapist admitting that I was struggling because, you know, at that time I was still kind of active in my eating disorder as well, like a decade ago. And I remember, I can't remember if it was a supervisor that, like a, a therapist that said this to me, but I remember someone saying to me, are doctors not allowed to have like heart conditions yeah. or other health conditions? Mm-hmm. Like what makes you special that mm-hmm. as a therapist, you can't have mental health conditions.
1: But that's what we're taught. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Or, or that people think mm-hmm. of, of uh, mental health and clinicians.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely like a prevalent way that it shows up for me and my relationships. Oh, and, and the comment. Well, you should know how to deal with it because you're a therapist. Like, yeah, I do know how to deal with it. But the
1: same way, a surgeon can't operate on themselves. Yeah. We we can't therapize ourselves. That's why we have our own therapists. That's why we have our own supervisors. Exactly. and, And peer supervision and colleagues and all the things that we need to do.
0: Yeah. So I think definitely, like, in terms of our field, the interpersonal stigma comes up a lot like you know be having to be really careful on who and where we disclose our mental health struggles to like am I gonna be at risk for losing a job if I say it to a supervisor who might have a mentality that we can't have our own struggles Mm -hmm. and also be useful therapists you know and I will say like disclaimer I do think that there are points from an ethical standpoint depending on how we are struggling yeah that we may need to step back from the client work um, yeah. and a, and it's really being aware of that i just don't think that you know i'm feeling anxious so i can't treat clients is not yeah no is not a service to the to us as therapists because we are human you know i think it kind of looks at like the spectrum of i've had times in my life where i have to take time off of seeing clients because ethically i don't feel that it's okay given And I think, again, it's like any other physical health condition, right? If symptoms flare up, sometimes we have to take time off work. I've
1: had to cancel a full week of sessions. Yeah. In the past.
0: Yeah, I've had to cancel more sessions than I would like to admit. But luckily, all my clients are really cool. And I also see it as like role modeling, right? Because I'm like, hey, it's okay to cancel stuff sometimes and validate that like, yeah, you might be disappointed or you can be annoyed with me or you can be mad at me for canceling that's totally okay
1: yeah i'm curious at your thoughts on how in terms of interpersonal stigma Mm -hmm. how it might show up in romantic relationships
0: oh god i could write a book on that (laughs)
1: like in partners or people that are dating and Mm -hmm. getting to know each other
0: i think in a few different ways right like in my experience there's one the savior complex mm. is how it shows up. The stigma of I need to go and fix this person or solve their problems. Not a healthy thing for me foundation of attachment, right? And I think in other ways, like I've seen mental health weaponized against people.
1: Yeah.
0: If you and I were dating and you knew that I struggled with anxiety, right? And then I come to you and I bring you a legitimate concern. And I say, hey, Gabby, you know, when when you're out all night and you don't text me and let me know where you are, that really impacts me and I need you to be more communicative. Weaponizing is like, oh, well, that's your anxiety. You should deal with that. Yeah. You have anxiety. That's not my problem. Deal with that. Yeah. It's kind of like a... Sounds
1: like a you problem.
0: Yeah. Everything kind of gets chalked up to that. Yeah. Right. And, and so it can be kind of a lot of fuel for gaslighting. I think, with the mental health struggles.
1: Well, I want to add to that. Like, if I'm not willing to be more communicative, it's. I think it's just the way I say that. It, like, if I'm saying, like, hey, that's a you problem, you deal with it because it's your anxiety, versus, like, hey, I appreciate the concern, and at the same time, I don't think I can give you that kind of communication at this point. That's a very different boundary, and I totally. think and it's also a, a conversation to have with that person of whether or not everyone's okay with that boundary mm-hmm. or if it's like, okay, maybe this is where we part ways. and this is like obviously that's not the only reason where people would part ways, but mm-hmm. does that make sense? It's like yeah, because it's also important to acknowledge that we we don't get everything that we ask for
0: totally, right. I think it's more the weaponizing of the mental yeah. health diagnoses or mental yeah. health challenges that is the the stigma piece yeah. um. And then I also think from like another perspective, and I guess this kind of goes into the individual, but I think about like internalized mental health stigma Mm -hmm. where someone has so much shame around struggling. And they're like, I am so unlovable and I am so unworthy because I struggle. And so then in romantic relationships, it comes out as I need a romantic partner. To make me feel whole. Right? Mm-hmm. I need someone to come in and love me. So that I can learn that I'm lovable. Yeah. And instead it's like. It's coming from that place of like. I just feel so much shame. Yeah. Around my struggles.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a big one. Because we've been told. Like we hear from so many different directions. Mm-hmm. That it's not okay to struggle. That it's not okay to have a mental health. Mm-hmm. I guess mental health struggle. Mm-hmm. That. If you have a diagnosis like that, it's not okay to have a diagnosis or be on medication mm-hmm. or not feeling happy all the time. Yeah. We've, we hear it all the time. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Just be and happy. The,
0: and also, but then on the other end, how that gets used as insults. Like I'm thinking about couples that I've worked with or clients that i work with that have partners or even in my own relationships, you know, we're getting in an argument and it gets, well, you should go to therapy. Oh. you need to take medication did you take your meds today like it becomes that weapon i think that weaponizing you is really therapy, at the core yeah. of like the stigma piece on how it reflects in relationships mm-hmm. is it's just used as like bullets yeah, it's right? weaponized, yeah and then there's like diagnoses used to insult people right like i'm thinking about I don't think you watch it, but Love is Blind. and There's got to be some people out there that watch Love is Blind. But I'm thinking about the scene with Cole and Zaneb. So there was, like, one of the couples, and they were getting in an argument. And Cole, the man, his comment was like, are you bipolar?
1: Jesus Christ.
0: Right? So it, like, it comes across like that. Or everyone calling their partner a narcissist when they're upset with them or their parents are narcissists like that's ways that it shows up or people saying that they're especially now, like I'm getting more into treating OCD and like really learning the ins and outs of the reality of the disorder. The fact that people say that they're OCD because they like things a certain way or cleanliness, like that's stigma because it's like you're using it as this thing to describe like a quirk about yourself when it's actually like a, crippling crippling illness Mm. that folks really do struggle with
1: yeah i I think you know the the stigma on on partners and everyone and their mothers is a narcissist based Mm. on tiktok honestly diagnosing someone with narcissistic personality disorder is one of the hardest things to do Mm. in our field like it's so hard to to diagnose someone with that
0: we've talked about this before that personality disorders are just complex trauma
1: yeah, it's just like different ways of attachment, different ways of mm-hmm. doing things. Yeah, sometimes that comes with someone being an asshole, but that's just because they're an asshole, not because mm. of a diagnosis.
0: Yeah, it's true.
1: Yeah.
0: The, the everyone and their mothers being diagnosed also reminded me of another piece of stigma that moms are blamed for mental health issues, right? That's mm. part of the stigma, especially in eating disorders. Like I've worked with a lot of parents who support their loved ones in their eating disorder. And so many moms have said to me, all the literature that, is from like previous says it's due to the mother child relationship right and it's so parent
1: blamey I hate yes I hate when people say like oh I have daddy issues that's why I like older men it's like Mm. no you like older men because you like older men. Daddy issues have nothing to do with it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's like, let's stop. I think holding our parents accountable for needs that were unmet is very different yes. than blaming our parents for everything. For, for everything. Um, you know, when I work with my clients, I always say like, let's hold our parents with compassion, knowing that they did the best that they could with the resources they had and acknowledge and... that some needs might have gone unmet. But this, this parent blamey stuff is so a part of the stigma. And I think it's a big barrier. If we want to take it back to systemic, that's a big barrier for people normalizing mental health struggles is because either one, people don't want to blame their parents, mm-hmm. and two, parents don't want to be blamed.
1: Yeah, I think it, it's just a very difficult thing for a lot of people to understand that there there is room for compassion and accountability and for, for acknowledgement that they did the best they could, and that they fucked you up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't even say that they fucked you up. They made some mistakes. You the didn't get all your needs. Mistakes
1: that. that fucked you up.
0: But you didn't. But I, I don't consider being fucked up. I just think that we have I some mean, unmet sure. needs.
1: I think it's just a, a semantics thing here, a language thing. You
0: know how I feel about semantics.
1: Yeah, I agree. But that's that's. I understand that, and. Like I, I get, I get about the 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 language piece on you know fucked you up, but I I, th- the way I say it is more so like.
0: I know, I know how you mean it. I just <laughs> yeah, I want to make. But not everybody knows uh, how I, want, I mean it. Yeah, so I want to you know make sure that people are, understanding where you're coming from. Um, yeah, I mean I know that we've jumped kind of like all over the place. So we've talked about pretty
1: normal. Hmm. Pretty normal for us.
0: I know we're. Every time we do an episode, we say we're going to be more organized. But then once you get into it, like, we just want to have these conversations. And the natural flow of conversations is that we jump around. So, okay, we've talked about, like, systemically how it shows up. Obviously, we're, like, barely skimming the top of all of these things. Yeah,
1: I mean, we, first of all, we don't know all the things. I know everything. Sure. (laughs) Second, we would be here for days. True. If we were to do it all.
0: So interpersonally, we know it shows up. It can, you know, be used as weaponizing. It can really affect dynamics in relationships. It can kind of, it can really affect like the function of the relationship if we're stigmatizing ourselves or stigmatizing others. You know, I think interpersonally it shows up in a lot of different ways. Another one that I wanted to touch on that often comes up is, and this goes into individual too, but like, that feeling of, oh, they're just faking it, or I'm just faking Mm, it, mm -hmm. right? Like, it happens on both ends of like, and I think, I saw this guy on TikTok once, and he was like, if I was faking it, I wouldn't be struggling when no one's around, Yeah. right? But I think that that's part of that stigma, that the way that we gaslight ourselves when we're struggling to say, maybe I'm just faking it, maybe I'm just being lazy, maybe I just need to get over it, is because we've received messaging like that, of, oh, they're just doing it for attention,
1: yeah but also like you know following what that guy said about faking it while he's alone is like it's not visible mm-hmm. like a lot of physical mm-hmm. things like physical well, mm-hmm. illnesses or whatever is like it's not you can't see it yeah and so it's like how can we prove this how can we show this mm-hmm. when nobody can see it yeah and i think the other part of of, of it being Kind of the individual piece of as well as like you know. People that refuse to use their sick days Mm -hmm. or mental health days because Mm -hmm. it would look bad in their review.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: When the reality is that it doesn't doesn't impact your review or and it shouldn't.
0: Yeah. But I think you know systemically again sometimes it does it shouldn't. Yeah. But it does okay so i know we've been we've been chatting for a while maybe just kind of like to wrap up we've already touched a little bit on the individual kind of impact i think the
1: individual impact is mostly that shame that people feel we all feel yeah and that's why we keep it to ourselves or that we don't talk about it to in in settings where other people can see that we're not
0: mm-hmm. well the yeah, inter- yeah the internalized perfect. stigma is shame yeah and then how does that show up it shows up in me isolating it shows up in me not asking for help not seeking services not feeling worthy of things or it shows up in me over exerting and overproducing and over functioning because i can't slow down
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: um I think, like, one thing that I'm left sitting with as we kind of trickled our way down, and this is something that I've often done with clients, too, is once we get down to the individual level, like, I hope that if nothing else, this helps folks listening to, like, cultivate some self-compassion to say, like, when I feel this way, this isn't my fault, right? Like, it isn't my fault that sometimes I feel like I'm faking it. Or that I'm just yeah. lazy because if I kind of work my way back up to the influences in the world, mm-hmm. that's what we've been taught.
1: Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we're not, that part of the solution is is in us. Right. We are part of the solution. Yeah. Something to, doesn't
0: have to be my fault for me to still so, address it.
1: Yeah. And take responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also knowing, and I think going back to what we said, and I think I want to say in our self-care episode in season one, it's like sometimes we do all the right things and we still feel like shit. Mm-hmm. That's okay too. Yeah. And and I think I think we're almost closing up here. but
0: Oh, but before you, okay when you said sometimes we do all the right things.
1: Quote unquote the yeah, right things. Yeah,
0: quote unquote the right things and we still feel like shit. I wonder if that's part of mental health stigma, that it's a problem to be fixed. Mm-hmm. It's something to be made mm-hmm. to go away. Yeah. I, I've been reframing that a lot for myself and with my clients where I'm like, our depression and anxiety are like our friends that show up and hold us accountable when something's not right or something, you know, like maybe it's that we're needing more rest or that we're needing to slow down or that we're not feeling fulfilled in our job or our relationships. Right. But not thinking about it as like this, oh, I have this illness and I need to make it go away. It's like, OK, I have this challenge and how do I learn to?
1: Yeah. There's this thing that our friend Anna, who's also a therapist, told me once and I don't know if these were the exact words, but this is how I remember. It's like, you know, that think of depressive episodes as a place we visit, Mm -hmm. not a place we live in.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I think I think I remember you telling me that. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or when we were all together, but I really like that and I definitely use that a lot more and more.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Anna.
0: Yeah, shout out to Anna.
1: Yeah, and I think what I wanted to say earlier to kind of close up, as we know that some of our clients listen to the podcast, is like we're good. Like mm-hmm. part I and a big part of why mental health practitioners don't share mm-hmm. in general, not not with their clients, because our sessions are for our clients about mm-hmm. them and not for us or about us. Mm-hmm. But in general, like we don't share, is because we also don't want our clients to be like they need to take care of us.
0: Totally, And again, that's part of the stigma is that if I'm open about struggling with mental health, that means that I'm not okay and I need to be taken care of. And the reality is I can struggle and still be totally okay and show up and do my job and not need people to hold me up.
1: Yeah. Because I I think, and this is something, I I can't can't remember who said this one to me, but that part of this is also that when we focus on someone else, Mm -hmm. it also helps us
0: totally yeah we talked about navigate, that last
1: time navigate our own stuff yeah. yeah and so yeah that's why we have our own therapists our our community and our support system so that we can mm-hmm. take care of ourselves and also be able to do our, our work and support the clients that we're trying to support
0: mm-hmm. so at the end of the day i think if we could just remove shame and stigma associated with basically everything, everything. <laughs> the world would the be purpose, a much better place yeah but for these purposes around our mental health struggles like i just i think the world would be so different
1: thanks for listening know, to this episode lives, we would love to hear and your thoughts jobs. feedback or episode ideas you can find us on instagram yeah. at therapy.afterhours or Never. email us at right. therapy well, we A-H are done dot for today yeah. at mm-hmm. it was nice chatting
0: just a reminder Maybe that although we are therapists, the we are not your yeah, therapists, you And this podcast is not a substitute for therapy or other mental health services. In the event that one of us is your therapist, we invite you to bring any responses to our episodes into your sessions. Bye, Bye for, for now. now.